This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Isaiah chapter 1 is where we will be and then moving around in the book and looking at some other uh, prophecies as well. We'll be looking at what is in the book, the first section. It's actually after the introduction of chapter 1, chapters 2 to 4, though again the chapter divisions are not inspired and and uh, I'll be sharing with you where uh, really we see an introduction of sorts and a conclusion to help you define better uh, this, this first section. But look at your sheet entitled Survey of Isaiah. This is from Merrill Tenney, Bible scholar Merrill Tenney. And uh, there are other outlines that you can look at in commentaries. And, and I would encourage you to look up some of those, maybe the Bible tools that you have at home and compare them. But uh, we're going to use this. This is a, a very good outline, and we'll use it as we move through. Though, again, expositionally, we're not going to go chapter by chapter. This is going to be more of a survey, and uh, tonight's message will be as well. But a couple of themes that you'll notice as you look through the outline and, and the way this is laid out. Remember that the first half uh, of the book, of the prophecy, deals with judgment. The second half deals with, after God does His refining work, His blessing, His wooing uh, Israel back, and the overriding theme, how He's going to take a nation of rebellious servants and make them a nation of redeemed and witnessing sons. And during the millennium, the... Uh, missionaries will not be the church. We'll be back in glorified bodies, reigning with the Lord. But the witnesses, uh, those who are evangelizing, will be redeemed Israel, those who have turned to the Lord at the very end of the tribulation, believed on Christ as He comes back, and then they'll enter His millennial reign with Him. As you look at the outline, here's something else that you'll notice. There's a heavy emphasis, obviously, on the Messiah, His redemptive work, uh, the refining that He'll do in Israel. And there's a whole section, uh, chapter 7 to 12, when we get there, you're going to see, and Bible scholars have called this the book of Emmanuel. Now later on, obviously, you've got... Uh, the chapters, Isaiah 52, 53, those chapters that deal with the suffering Savior. And so much good information there about what he suffers to win salvation that again, some have referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. As you move down, you'll also notice prophecies against the surrounding nations. Chapters 13 to 23. And what you see in those chapters is God who, ha who uses nations to chasten His people 
he uses them to carry out his judgment for their idolatry, their rebellion. But a just God, though he, he uses them, all right, he also then will judge them for their sin. No one gets away with it. Okay? And, and so you can see specifically the prophecies and how, how God uses them. A just God judges them. They think they're just winning battles, uh, but they're, they're really working right along with the plan of God. And we see that all through Scripture, don't we? Even in Revelation, the Antichrist, you know, and Satan think they're getting the upper hand on the Lord. No, they're not. Just all fits right into his, his blueprint. All right? And so you have teaching on the resurrection, uh, the uh, heavy eschatological teaching, 24 to 27. As you go to the second part, you can see uh, chapters 32 to 35. We're actually going to reference a passage out of there tonight, but eventual blessing on Zion. What's the difference between Zion and Jerusalem? Well, Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem sets, okay? And, and we're going to be uh, highlighting that tonight in our, our study. You have some historical chapters. Actually, I love this about Isaiah. I love this about Jeremiah. You have narrative sections where it's, a, it's in real life, okay? History uh, about what uh, God did when enemies invade and, and, uh, and God delivers, you have the Babylon in exile, and then Babylon's fall, chapters 40 to 48. And then at the uh, close of the book, and uh, I alluded to this, uh, notice number 10 there, final deliverance through the suffering servant. Those chapters related to our Lord's work, blessing, followed by salvation, and, um, and then just God allowing Israel to see that when he chastens, when he judges, it's not just because he's angry and that's the final purpose. It's not. God's going to bring them back, make them his witnesses, and that's how Isaiah closes out. All right, so I hope that you'll just keep that as a reference. Hope that'll be a help to you. Now take, take your handout for tonight, the other handout. And we're going to look at another major theme in Isaiah. But by way of introduction, notice your handout. America has been through many difficult times, and we're in one of those times again. Each time the hardships have revealed our national conscience. We can look back to the Vietnam War era, the 60s, where frankly the seeds were sown for the nonsense, the violence that we're seeing today. All those people have grown up, and some of them are in Congress. All right? But adversity, problems reveal where we are spiritually as a nation. Would you agree with that? Okay. So here we are. It also reveals where we place our trust. So many look to a scientific answer for COVID. Well, if they can just come up with a vaccine, all of our problems will go away. 
A strong military. Thank God for our military. But can a strong military solve all of our issues? No. The stock market, government, and, and elections. Okay. But when was the last time someone with a public voice called our nation to repentance before God? These committees that are meeting right now, wouldn't it be great if somebody just stood up and said, you know what, here's our problem. It's not that we can't get along. We've all turned our back on God. We need to repent and recognize that what is happening across our land, uh, the calamity in nature, uh, the violence in our streets, it looks like God has removed his hand of protection and blessing. And it's time for our nation to get on our faces before God like Nineveh of old, and we need to repent. Recognizing our desperate need for His deliverance. The book of Isaiah teaches that God allowed Judah, and in the broader context, what He's going to do in the future, all of Israel, but Judah, to experience national crises. National crises. It wasn't just... In Israel's history, an army swept in, defeated all the cities, and carried them all off to captivity. You'll remember that the northern tribes went first. Prophets prophesied. Did anything change? And then armies would invade, and Judah, king after king, there were times that armies invaded and took cities and and then the next king would rebuild and alliances and so on. But in the end, nobody learned. At the same time, God graciously allowed prophets to continue to warn. So Judah to experience national crises so that she would trust him alone. Which is why Isaiah 43, 11. God wanted them to realize, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I'm all you need. Isaiah 1 reveals the heart of God to redeem and bless. I love the tone of Isaiah as you begin. Look at chapter 1. Notice verse 16. The Lord admonishing Israel, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings uh, from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Then a very familiar verse. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson... They shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the what? With the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Do you sense the Lord's heart with his people? Not a vengeful God. No, but he will deal with sin. So he wants to redeem and bless, but refining will be needed. Go down later in the chapter, verse 25. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross 
and take away thy ten. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. So he's going to refine so that these rebel servants will become a nation of witnessing sons. Now chapters 2 to 4 show how God will refine Israel. And you can read that on your own. But he'll refine them, resulting in Jerusalem becoming the global city of peace. And by the way, one of the reasons that he'll refine them, and you'll see this as you read through those chapters later, is because you have individuals who want to use religious talk. They want to appear religious, but their hearts are far from the Lord. And once again, God sees the heart. He's never deceived when our lips say something that contradicts what we really are. And so the next section, and you heard uh, references to Zion and Jerusalem, all right? The next section in Isaiah's prophecy is marked with an introduction and a conclusion of sorts where Jerusalem becomes the focal point of universal peace and Messiah's glory. So chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can I just pause? Verse 4 is one of the recycling verses. In the Bible. They're going to be doing recycling. Can you imagine how much metal and other stuff is out there just with weaponry today? They're going to recycle it. What are they going to do with it? Farm equipment. Verse 5. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Go to chapter 4, verse 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. A messianic reference. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely from them that are escaped of Israel. Right? And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. All right. So, these references to this great city. Let's consider how Jerusalem will become the city of peace. The city of peace. Its very name means peace, city of peace. And so, consider the timing of God's plan. 
Go back to chapter 2, verse 2, and you'll see this phrase, in the last days. It's used here and also in Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'm not going to ask you to turn over there, but they're going to have it on the screen for you so we can, uh, we can see it. Micah 4.1. There it is. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. Some parallel phrases here, right? And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into or unto it. Both of these refer to Jerusalem, what's going to happen during the millennium. In the last days, that phrase is also used five times in the New Testament, where we're told that this period began with the Savior's first coming to earth, and that the period ends with His second coming to earth. Not the rapture, He comes in the clouds there, but where He comes to earth. As we read on in chapter 2, the exact timing of the prophecy comes into view. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us our ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now as you read on there, it's not that they're reading Scripture. They're not reading the prophecies again. No, this is King Jesus teaching physically from Jerusalem. What a time that will be. The fact that the nations of earth will never learn war anymore. That's your next blank. Never learn war anymore. Speaks of something completely foreign to the history of the world. Has there ever been a time since Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden, the people weren't warring with each other? You say, well, we're not really sure what happened before Noah's flood. Oh, yes, we are. The scripture tells us violence filled the earth. Since Christ's first coming 2,000 years ago, when has there not been warfare? Our Lord's second coming will change this for a 1,000 years. Israel will later declare that a child will live to be 100 years old. Chapter 65 and verse 20. I do want to just pause and look at that passage for a moment because it, if you know your Bible and, and you know how the Scripture is laid out dispensationally, and it is, okay, you'll recognize, again, characteristics of the millennial reign. Initially, only believers go into the millennial reign. We're reigning as glorified saints with the Lord, but then you'll have those who survived uh, almost Israel being wiped out completely, but you'll have converted Jews and others who were saved during the tribulation time. But as King Jesus reigns in Jerusalem, just consider this. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for a child shall die at a hundred years old. 
You read that somebody died. They were 100. Well, he was just a kid. Well, that's different than today, isn't it? But that's what it'll be. But the verse is not, a sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Here, here's the whole point of that. They're 100 years old, and they still haven't believed on King Jesus. So what does that tell you? There are going to be those during the millennium, they do reject the Lord. They are not willing to be saved. What does that tell you about the human heart? When King Jesus reigns in Jerusalem, you can go see him. And they still won't believe some of them. That's a problem. Okay. Total population during this time will likely exceed the earth's population today. I mean, that's not hard to imagine when, a, when somebody who's 100 years old still is considered to be a child. However, every child born will still have a sin nature and will need the message that the Lord is the only Savior. So you can see from these different passages the timing of God's plan, right? Let's go on now. Notice the primacy, the, the focus that the greatest city on earth is Jerusalem during the time of the millennial world. Mount Zion will be chiefest of all the mountains because the Lord's house will be there. Now we know from Scripture that the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount during the tribulation. It's going to fit up there, probably next to the Mosque of Omar. The Antichrist is going to uh, be the one that it's going to look like he brought that, that piece about, and, and isn't this wonderful, everybody's getting along. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. But that temple will still be standing when King Jesus comes through the eastern gate and sets up his throne. Now, exactly what he's going to do with that temple and so on, stay tuned. You're going to have a front row seat. But the point is, his house will be there, and King Jesus will reign from there. So go back to chapter 2, and notice verse 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humble, the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Verse 17. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now Jerusalem will have the greatest political significance. And uh, really Zechariah 14, 16 is just uh, again a parallel text uh, to what Isaiah says. All judgment will come from that, that city. Uh, the ruler, uh, the ruling will come from that city. The government will be upon his what? Shoulders. Okay. But it will also be a physical wonder. I wish our, our young people were in here tonight. You can go home and you can look at these passages and, and help them uh, get a little bit of a glimpse into what the millennium is going to be. Do you know that in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Bible tells us that the Lord's going to return the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. 
don't know if you've ever seen this in the book of Isaiah. Have you ever wondered what it was like in the wilderness when, when God led Israel that way? Once again, you're going to get to see it. How do we know? Chapter 4, verse 5, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat. In other words, so that pillar is going to protect from the sun. And for a place of refuge and for a covert, a covering from storm and from rain. So what do we draw from that? Well, it's going to be there, the pillar of cloud and fire. And it'll be for protection from stormy weather. So when you go to hear King Jesus teach in Jerusalem, you're going to get to see that. How many of you want to sign up for that trip? Okay, all right. What else? Well, Zechariah 14.4 says that the Mount of Olives will be divided in two. That Christ's second coming. He's going to come down on the Mount of Olives, split it open. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half. And then it goes on to say, And the mountain shall be removed towards the north and half of it towards the south. Now what will happen? Well, that, that fissure is going to cause water to come gushing up out of there. And it's going to go from the edge of Jerusalem towards the east. And the scripture tells us that as it heads down towards the Jordan Valley and towards the Gulf of Aqaba, it's going to get wider and deeper. And the further you go, the better the fishing is going to get. Here's what it also tells me, and several of you have been to the Holy Land with us. The Dead Sea is going away. It's just, it's going to get washed right out into the ocean. And that's going to be all fresh water. So, understand what I'm saying. When we talk about, it's going to be a, physically it's going to be a place that you want to visit. But what is going to be the best part? Help me. Seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. The surroundings will be amazing, but that's not the glory of it. He's, he's the glory of it. All right. And that takes us then to the spiritual influence of the city. Verse 2, again back in chapter 2, says that all nations will flow into it, into Jerusalem. And verse 3 tells us why. The whole world will seek out the wonderful counselor. Okay? They'll say, come ye. And, and, and by the way, notice at the beginning of the verse, many people shall say, shall go and say. Now why is that important? It doesn't say, and all people shall go and say. Remember, we've already looked at the fact not everybody's going to believe. Many are going to say, come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us our ways, but it doesn't stop there. What's the next phrase? And we will walk in his path. 
Let me ask you a question. Everybody that shows up to church and hears Bible preaching and teaching, it's because we will walk in His ways, right? No? Lots of times we hear preaching and teaching and then we decide what we're going to do with it. But those who will go up to Jerusalem won't be deceived. They're, they're going to go up. They're going to hear what the Lord teaches because they're determined to put it into practice. Praise God. Many believers here, that's your heart. Lord, you show me, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay? So the spiritual influence of this city is remarkable. Some, however, will choose not to go up. Zechariah 14, 17, and 18 tells us that it will not rain on their land. And God will smite them with a plague. There won't be, I don't know, is phoniness a word? You're not going to be able to hide that you're not right with God. Why? Because you'll drive down a street. And you're going to see these green yards and green fields. And, and then this guy's place is drying up. What's it going to tell you? No heart for God. No obedience to the Lord. And there will be sick people. And that will be an indication. They're not believing on the Lord. Wow. And, and again, why does the Lord do that? To make them look bad. No. Same reason why God allows trials today, try to draw people to himself. And then it'll be, and let me just finish this, imagine a world where people will be able to learn directly from the enthroned Christ. Which means, by the way, imagine a day when there will be new revelation. You watch the 10 o'clock news and they've got a special on what Jesus taught today. But it's new revelation, and it's true. It's as true as this is true. Now we've got phonies today that say, well, I've, I've got new revelation from the Lord. No, you don't. No, you don't. But in that day, family altar, you can sit around at your table. And, what did Jesus teach today? Wow. Wow. Will any of it contradict this? No. Will it help to explain this? It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. All right. It'll be the judicial center of the earth. Among the nations, chapter 2, verse 4, reveals that the Lord will be the global problem solver. Rebuking many people is needed. During the millennium, people will go to the city of peace to seek the prince of peace, and he'll provide perfect justice in every situation. The result will be that people will no longer settle their disputes with war. Children will never see the function of weapons. No more cowboys and Indians. They won't even know what that is. Instead, they'll be playing out on the, the hole of a venomous snake and mom will look out and snakes crawling all over and they're just having a good time. It's fine. 
you'll look out and, honey, did you see that? What? We just had some critters walk down the road. What'd you see? A lion and a lamb. There they go. Wow. The most fought over city in the world will be where the world gathers to learn lasting peace. Let's close. Isaiah's prophecy references Zion and Jerusalem. Zion is mentioned 47 times. Jerusalem is mentioned 47 times, 94 times total. The Lord through Isaiah predicts Jerusalem's complete devastation as a testimony of his judgment of sin and complete restoration as a testimony of his gracious salvation. And you can look up the, the chapter 52 passage. Just as God's plan will bring Israel to be a missionary nation declaring that he alone is salvation, so also the Lord has redeemed an army of missionaries now. And I'm looking at them. Now to introduce others to the Prince of Peace that they may be redeemed and return worship to him. Isn't this exciting stuff? This is Isaiah. And praise the Lord, it's, it's coming. And just as God fulfilled what he said to Israel in the past, that's the benchmark. That's what gives us the absolute confidence he's going to do what he said in the future. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for Isaiah's prophecy. Lord Jesus, thank you that very soon a trump's going to sound and we're going to see our great Savior. Lord, if there's anyone listening tonight, live stream, anyone here who doesn't know Christ as Savior, would you cause them to repent of their sin and to turn to you and invite you to be their Savior. Lord, so that they can be on the right side of these events as they unfold, knowing the Lamb of God. Father, tonight we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray that you will allow this election to put people in power that in fact do have a heart for Israel. And Lord, thank you for your plan. Help us to be faithful as your witnesses in this age while we, we await your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.